0: Support for the Errol Gage podcast comes from the Yellow Conference, helping create entrepreneurial women become agents of good. Yellow is an annual conference aimed at equipping creative women to affect positive change in the world. Find out more at yellow.com. I'm Dominic. Um, I'm 23 years old and I'm from Germany. Um, More specifically from Bavaria, so South Germany, and really, I grew up really near to the Austrian border, near Salzburg, and I'm from pretty much from the alpine scenery of Bavaria. Yeah. Yeah, I'm studying musicology in Munich, and I've done here in Dublin one year of my Erasmus exchange here, and now I'm working on my (laughs) musicology project with Dr. Jones, and then I'm someday go back to Germany.
1: PCD, University College Dublin in the windy room so if you hear wind it's this room in particular it seems to be loud when it's windy but uh, thanks for coming seriously
0: it's a pleasure to be here
1: well you were telling me about the piece why don't you tell me about the music you brought
0: you mean about the Beethoven Sixth symphony last movement oh, that's right yeah um, so as you told me you said you, you want to hear some music, which is specifically from from my area where I come from, um, that's actually a bit hard. I thought um, so because my dad is Swiss and uh, my mom is German, and I grew up in Bavaria. So I thought to present today something which is kind of represents my both nationalities, which are in me and. Um, so I've brought that because the last movement is based on a traditional a Swiss melody which is called the Rodewasch or in German Kureing, which is a specifically a Alpon melody um, which is was played by shepherds like um, during during history um, for rejoicing um, to God or to nature. You can find several of those melodies played on Alperns um, through the whole, like, old um, nations like Austria, Germany, Switzerland. Sure. But during the time when Beethoven has written this um, symphony, the melody was particularly um, connected to Switzerland, rather, to South Germany or Austria. And there's actually a really funny um, um, statement by Georges Grissot in the 18th century in his um, Dictionnaire de Musique. He had an entry about the Rodebach, and it was actually. I don't know if it's historical correct or not, Uh but there's a rumor that um, Swiss mercenaries were—it was forbidden to play. So when they were abroad, like to fight for other countries or whatever, it was forbidden to play that melody because they suffered so much about that to go home to their to their um, where they come from today. How you say that? The homeland, maybe. Yes, exactly. Um, So that was, if it's really true, like during the 16th, 17th and 18th century, it was really, really strong connected to um, where you came from. And that's I thought, is really interesting that Beethoven has taken this melody to put it into the last movement of his sixth symphony. Mm. Um, Because as you, I'm sure, know that the revolution thing about uh, Beethoven's symphonies was that they are all goal-directed, and the real um, melodic um, themes are really in the end. I mean, best example is the um, is the ninth symphony of Beethoven, where everything is culminating in a rejoicing uh, chorus in the end. And so I thought that was really interesting. About the sixth symphony, because everything is culminating in that raw devotion, that r- rural alpha melody.
1: Hmm. How do you think he found this? Why? Why this melody? You know what I mean? Like why that?
0: Yeah, that that's. Um, I was asking myself that as well. And many musicologists, they can't. It's it's not to be answered a hundred percent. What we know is that Beethoven was never in Switzerland. He. So there are two theories. He had um, a friend um, in Switzerland, in Zurich. Um, He might have contacted him. He sent him that. We don't know. Or maybe travelers who came to Vienna and played like melodies from all around the world. Um, So we can't say for 100%, but what I was questioning myself because Austria or or also South Germany, they also have like Alpine melodies. So why particularly a Swiss one? Why? And um, I did a bit of research and um, I thought to to answer this question, how Switzerland was regarded during that time. Um, And Friedrich Schiller, the really famous poem writer who wrote also the Ode to Joy in Beethoven's Mm -hmm. Ninth Symphony, He actually wrote two years before Beethoven worked on that piece um, a drama. It's called Wilhelm Tell, and Wilhelm Tell is based on a Swiss myth. And um, Schiller has got um, the material from um, Goethe, another uh, uh, drama writer during that time, because that one was in Switzerland and he has taken that myth. So he gave it to to Schiller. And Beethoven was a great admirer from Schiller because those contemporaries like Schiller, Beethoven, Goethe, they were all in that idealistic thinking of the French Revolution like um, freedom, fraternity. um, And um, so because of Schiller and because of his writing of Wilhelm Tell Switzerland was up to that point really regarded not just as a country of nature, but also a country where that idealistic version of uh, the French Revolution, like freedom fraternity, was Mm. um, supposed to be existing. So, and because Beethoven was a great admirer of nature and of that ideals from the French French Revolution, you could regard the Rodevash as like people's um freedom in nature and their mm. um, like their goal in life
1: yeah yeah the whole look, the whole idea of his six is like the pastoral like into nature correct yes. so that's cool i I feel like Switzerland still has that kind of reputation of being like unbelievably beautiful in terms yes. of you know mountainous regions and stuff yeah. like that um, it's kind of cool that it's like you in a movement of a piece, well, you know, your background,
0: yeah, Swiss and German. Um, yeah, to that, um, I mean, to my own experience, um, <laughs> Bavaria has equally beautiful parts. But I always thought that, like, the Swiss people are much more aware of the beauty of the nature, Mm. and for example, it's allowed in Switzerland just to go out into the woods, make a fire, and it's really common to go out with your children and um, make kind of a little barbecue out in the woods. And that was like, um, that's really, really common for centuries. And in Germany, it wouldn't be possible at all because to make open fire in in the woods, that's completely illegal huh. so that's kind of indifference uh, which is funny but um so still the, uh, in switzerland you have the kind of connection to the nature huh. and which is really nice and yeah you can see it in the
1: in the music six, yeah um did you ever experience like because did you say your father's german your mother's swiss is that it the other way around okay your mother's swiss you or your my dad is swiss and your mother is <laughs> german yeah, yeah did they have well, I imagine you know if you go to the stereotype of Germans, of you know the it's strictly illegal to make a fire in the woods. Did they? Did you ever witness those cultural clashes? Was she, was she ever like, we can't do that, and he was like, of course we can, that kind of thing.
0: Mm, did we you never remember? did it actually in Germany. I don't know why, hmm. but. um there's actually a funny story um so because my uh, Swiss granny she also lives in Germany so beside my house and her I think it was her brother so thirty years ago it was before my time her brother from Switzerland came over with um, his other brother and they went to the woods in Bavaria made a fire and roast sausages uh-huh. and then they came back and my like my my grandfather my grand were you're not supposed to do that, that's good, that's really strictly illegal. And they did, why? We, we always do that at home, but we shouldn't do it here. Huh. So it was not in my generation, but we have that kind of family story.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, pretty sexy, I have to say. Thanks for picking that. It was great. Um, so, do you want to just tell me a little bit about Bavaria specifically? You were saying how I think uh, the other night at the bar that Bavaria has its own kind of like its own deal. It's like maybe like a Catalonia of. Yeah. So, I don't know anything about Bavaria. Could yeah. You just...
0: Yeah. I always say put or take all the German stereotypes. Ne- could ne- say one German stereotype. Um, very strict. Uh, no, a bit a more plain one, like. A plain one. Um, like if I go to America, ask Volkswagen. somebody what's for Germany. What's what's. Um,
1: Mercedes. Okay, maybe not the car <laughs> things. <laughs> I don't know. What, what, what would you say? Okay, What's, I, uh, It's hard to talk stereotypes with someone from the country. I know, I know, know, I know.
0: I mean, what I always get the impression, it's like Oktoberfest, Lederhosen, Bier. Okay, yeah, and, yeah. And kind of that. Yes. And take those stereotypes and um, those are actually not German stereotypes. there are Bavarian stereotypes. Huh. You can compare it with like the Scottish kilt. I mean, the Scottish kilt is not British, it's Scottish. Right. <laughs> to talk a bit about those stereotypes, I mean, it's like um, like beer culture, it's kind of... Oktoberfest culture kind of deal? Yes. Yeah, I mean, ok, Oktoberfest, I wouldn't say it's traditional, uh-huh. it's like big business. Um, but anyway, like, uh, whole beer culture in Bavaria, because we have that law. Bavaria, that um, each each reason uh, sorry each region has to uh, preserve its own supply of beer. Huh. So that means we have uh, in Bavaria a lot of um, beer breweries and small beer breweries, and that's the kind of beer culture which is important uh, or really really nice, not like Paulana which you can buy everywhere, right. not the big companies which are uh, imports and uh, because of those little breweries um, we have once or twice a year like in every region you find kind of beer fests where the breweries um, are producing special beer just for the fests so like kind of um, little Oktoberfests, if you want huh.
1: <laughs> you're drinking age is 16 there
0: Sixteen, it's illi- uh, it's legal to drink beer, yeah, and eight, with eighteen, then strong alcohol. But wine and beer is oh, really? legal f- uh, from the age of sixteen. Huh. Do you think that helps a
1: lot, or would you say?
0: Well, I don't think it's a matter of if it helps or not. Um, I'm, I'm saying
1: like, like your typical accidents that you would. Have with alcohol you know what I mean because in the US we have a lot
0: yeah we I think we don't really have a lot of pro- problems I mean people growing up with that I mean when I look back into my childhood when I was taken like by my dad to one of those fests and everybody was drinking so and children's were running around and first it was just completely normal of course we didn't get beer from our parents mm-hmm. um we drank unalcoholic stuff <laughs> um but then you you grow up with it and then you i could imagine you're much more aware of how you behave when you're grown up
1: In huh. the US, yes is like because you know i mean obviously people do drink before they're 21 but it's always like you got to find the cool parent to buy the alcohol when you're in high school you know but our problem right now is really duis like it's it's that's like people just driving under the influence it I mean, I've been affected by it. many. A lot of people are affected by it, but I'd imagine drinking at a younger age might help you understand, like you're saying, how you act when you're a grown up. Maybe how you act when you're under the influence. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, but it's isn't it a question of okay, if you re, like, if you put the range down, if it really helps, or if it would like re, what I could imagine is what really would help when. Your parents, when the grown-ups are, you know, not saying, "Oh my God, that's something bad," or um, we have to do it secretly, not in front of our children, because in the children they see, "Oh, oh my God, that's something, se- uh, something," um, how you say, "secretly," and um, um, something, you know, if something is secret, then it gets like interesting. Like taboo, almost. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I think if it would be dealt more openly, and just if it's the normal world, uh, the the no- normalist thing in in the world, then um, it's not a big deal. Then, then it's not a big deal. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: What's the? Uh, I don't know. This is just crossed my mind. What's the state of like, um, like no? <laughs> Maybe this is totally not related. <laughs> but I am curious as to like the state of like narcotics, like. Portugal they've decriminalized every drug so okay and it's that whole idea of it's not taboo anymore everything's under regulation um, i think the whole idea of getting help rather than getting thrown in prison when you are having a problem with drugs mm-hmm. what what does germany look like in that like regard sorry if this is completely yeah, i'm yeah. just i'm really curious um
0: so it's The only drugs which are allowed are alcohol and nicotine, Hmm. Um, not Mariana. There's there's apparently a really... uh, There's actually a really huge discussion about legalizing Mariana. But I don't think so that it will happen in the next 10 years. Um, Because for that we would need a a left um, government, which we don't have. Uh, So yeah, we can buy like alcohol and nicotine, but... Everything else is um, illegal. Hmm. Okay. Sorry. I just I was really curious. I had
1: to ask. No, no, no it's fine. Um, another thing I'm super curious about, maybe because it's something you see on the news so much. So you're talking about the government. How you would say right now, it's a pretty right wing government. You'd say
0: conservative. conservative. Not 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 pretty right wing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just conservative.
1: Yeah. Um, have you? Um, kind of seen the effects of one thing I see every time I see Germany in the news now is the Syrian refugee Mm, bit. Do you you see that like every day or is it something where like they put them over here and we're over here, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. So see, during the whole refugee crisis, when it began, I moved to Dublin. So I've got actually the outsider perspective of everything, of course, I always um, talked with friends about that, Um, but when I went back to Munich last like uh, two months ago, um, which was the first time during 10 months, I thought the country has changed completely, not because particularly of the refugees, but especially of that kind of growing populism, which uh, is uh, spreading in Europe like the last uh, 10 years is now going to be established as well in Germany again mm-hmm. and um, that makes me much more thinking about that than about the refugees because I think Germany is a Germany is a, a rich country we have a lot of space and um, we definitely can help those people and because there were, in history, always refugees, always, and um, or when Germany was in trouble and uh, like um, during the Second World War, um, when Jews get, uh, fled to the United States, they were helped as well. Yeah. So why we shouldn't help now the people? Mm. What gives us the right just to shut down the uh, the borders? Of course, Germany can't. can't they can't do it alone. Um, it would be, of course, better to have like collective Europe on the side, which we right. don't, which we don't have. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, concluding, I think the problem is more the populism out, which is spreading, hmm. not really the refugees. Yeah.
1: Do you think you'll go back to a different
0: Munich? Like, well, um, see, even if Munich is always regarded as a really conservative city. In terms of that, because it's a rich city, um, it was actually a really open city. And still populism has not really reached Munich. Huh. Um, if you go to Eastern Germany, it's it's huge, like um, that populist party AFD has there around 23% uh, in the last elections. So um in my region where I grew up and where I'm studying, it's luckily not that bad. So I can't really say if it's, um, if Munich really has changed. Um, but of course, when I see the news in other parts of Germany, it, it did change because the unsayable is now can be said. Right. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things where, you know, right now, the spotlight will be on Germany because, you know, them taking in so many Syrian refugees. and But you never know if people are really affected at, like, day-to-day life, you know? Mm-hmm. People might hear a story in the U.S. that happens in Pennsylvania. And if I'm in California, chances are I'm, I'm not really going to be affected. You know what I'm saying? But you hear, like, oh, that country, it's happening. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. I mean, but I... Um what I thought is it's really interesting. I mean, Germany is a really liberal country, um, but because we all for the last 10 years, we always had a, a pretty conservative um, government. We have, for example, not equal marriage, which is a lot of funnily in Ireland, yeah. uh, which I always think is not as liberal in the like the The, the people are not as liberal like in Germany. But there was actually now a, um, a survey carried out by a German university. Uh, the questions were a bit questionable, but so one of the questions was, um, do you think it is disgusting if two men kissing each other? This question was um, answered the last 10 years, um, always around with yes, around 20%. It was carried out this spring, and it's now about forty-two percent. So it doubled up between uh, during the last two years. And why? I don't know.
1: Huh. Doubled up, yes, or doubled up, no?
0: Yeah, doubled the yes.
1: Oh, interesting. Which
0: is unbelievable because, I think, you know. Um, all my like all the people I know that are so so liberal, i can't I can't actually imagine who who thinks like that.
1: yeah, it is really strange. And I've thought the same thing with Ireland. I know exactly what you're talking about where when I go around, every girl is in a like a Catholic schoolgirl like uniform. and like it seems your overall vibes coming from Ireland are definitely more conservative than your continental Germany and yeah. France and Spain, you know it's That is really interesting though, and especially that it's shifted more towards yes. um not equal marriage you're saying
0: yeah, yeah it's it's strange, i mean it's of course this question of generation
1: huh. i mean
0: young the young generation is really so open until I don't know forties, but then after fifties, I don't know, the minds go in complete different directions, yeah. And it's it's um I don't know if just people were afraid not to saying what they really thought about that topic or about different topics, but now because of populism now it's like um it's like sayable again. Um I mean you have you have you have Donald Trump. He's a racist who um is might going to be president and uh, maybe you will have kind of the same development that yeah. the unsayable racism is now really can be really carried out again which is horrible
1: right yeah it is really peculiar how well i guess it's just this it'll way it's like these waves you know of you know you, like we had brexit and the populism that went with that, the nationalism, and now we have a guy like Donald Trump. Uh like Trump opens up this whole can of worms of so like he is like the manifestation of a bunch of people feeling insecure and scared and he's, you know, like uh I think that's one reason the US could learn a lot from Germany in their taking in of like refugees and stuff, because right now one of Trump's, you know, cornerstones is that, you know, let's ban Muslims and it's like,
0: whoa, this is,
1: I don't know, it's just, it's wild that it's gotten this far, but you realize the state of people and their fear, you know what I'm yeah. saying?
0: But but that's, I think, always really questionable, as, as especially with the United States, a state who was from its beginning secularized like it was free to choose your your religion and now it becomes if you are, if you are muslim then it becomes now like uh, it's now politicized po- politicized yeah, yeah yeah and um that's really scary because who gives us the right to judge which religion, religion is proper for our nation or not the whole concept of nation was developed independently from religion yeah the
1: concept yeah 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 i was just actually watching a video of obama this morning answering why he doesn't say the term um, radical islam radical islamic terrorist um and essentially he was saying you know these people if someone he this is what he said if someone said If someone was killing thousands of people and they claimed we're part of uh, Christianity, we're killing people for Christianity, I would say, no, that's total, that sucks. You can't do that because obviously this isn't what we're all about. And it's the same thing. He's like, if we affiliate the term Islamic with these terrorists, then we're saying to ourselves that Islam, you know, does this stuff. This is what they're all about. And he's like, that's not what they're all about because they're, you know, there's millions of Islamic people and it's just this tiny fraction of um, people doing this. So, I don't know, it's just, I thought that was really cool to hear. I don't know, because stereotypes are easy, you know. Yeah. Stereotypes are so easy.
0: Yeah, and it's, for the normal people, it makes you much more easier to make a judgment. You don't have to think, just put the thought to somebody else. Yeah. And you never question your own behavior. I mean, we all love, like the whole discussion about populism, Donald Trump, um, like, um, for example, in Germany, that populist party, the AFD, everybody's discussing about the existence of the AFD, but it's a democratic country. So if the people really want that, then it's just democratic to to, yeah, uh, yeah. give them such a party. It's much more questionable why they think that way. Mm.
1: Yeah, you wonder where you draw the line on... You don't draw a line on democracy, but...
0: Yeah. It's like, you know, if the fruit is populism hanging on a tree, you don't pick the fruit and throw it away because there will be another apple growing. You cut the uh, the tree down of it in its roots hmm. and the roots are in the people's minds. Hmm.
1: So you're saying you have to change a mind rather than change a policy
0: kind of thing? Yeah, change of mind is really, it's a really strong, tr- strong word, but just to, um, I don't know, um, convince the people in school or, I don't know, media or whatever um, about that they should inform themselves properly. I don't yeah. know. It's a difficult task, difficult undertaking. Yeah. That you, you should suppose that um, everybody is able to, Um, Be a rational person, Yeah, which is difficult.
1: You know, it's incredible to me. I saw this article the other day. Um, NPR was saying that Italy is now giving 500 euro stipends to students to spend on culture, to spend on museums, exhibits, um, any kind of culture that will help them learn Mm -hmm. and become, you know... A citizen who's aware of yeah what's going on. Th- around that's them. brilliant. I know, right? Yeah. I thought yeah. that was amazing.
0: I mean, I always have like in my like in my family, um, it's always question, Oh my god, you studying something with humanities? Why you don't study you know something proper like science or? But you see, to to um to study something cultural, it it forms our minds and it forms the people. It forms our culture. That's so equally important yeah. for a uh, daily life. And so what you just said, it's it's brilliant, brilliant idea. Why not to spend more money on culture and inform people and shape them. Yeah.
1: Well, I appreciate you sharing your culture today. I mean, I can't imagine it was easy at all when I asked you to bring something, a piece of music that's German. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's like... It's like going to Hawaii and being like, bring me the best fruit you got. And you're like, dude, we got so much fruit, yeah. man. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I really, really appreciate you talking with me. It was awesome.
0: I hope it was helpful. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And so you're back in Bavaria.
0: You're back in Munich on Sunday, right? On Sunday, yes. So 11 o'clock, I'm back at home. <laughs> oh, man.
1: And you're doing... Uh, are you doing your masters back at
0: home? Is that it? No, I have to finish my bachelor. Oh, okay. Actually. Yeah. And um, yes, so next year I'm going to write my thesis, and um, hopefully then afterwards my um, philosophy bachelor because I'm doing two. Yeah, yeah. And then hopefully the master and what's coming next. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Do you think you'll come back to Ireland for your master?
0: I don't know, um, so my big dream would be to go to England, mm. which is just, just questionable now because of the whole Brexit thing. Right. Um, so plan B would be following my roots and go for my master's to Switzerland. I know that I won't be I won't stay in Munich. not Munich is a brilliant university to everybody really deeply to recommend. Um, but I just think especially in humanities you. You need new experience, new arguments, new ideas, and for that go traveling, experience Mm. the world. And that's the reason why I want to go to England or go to Switzerland.
1: It's really cool. Um, Cool, well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best. I'm glad this worked out in our three-day span. (laughs) And hopefully, either you're coming back in December, right? Yes. So I'll see you, and we might as a class, go out to Germany at some point, so who knows? Hopefully. If you
0: have Munich around, then just send me a message, let me know.
1: Sounds good to me. of funny. This conversation was recorded about a year ago in Dublin after Dominic and I had hung out a few times. Anyway, just last week I had a family emergency and had to fly out to LA from Palma de Mallorca where I live now in Spain. And my first flight flew out of Spain delayed, causing me to be stuck in Munich where I would have had a layover, resulting in my calling up Dominic which led to a beer house in the heart of the city, which led to talking about Bavaria again, Bach, and anything else on our minds into the night. The rest of Beethoven Six is another couple minutes, and I'm going to let it play out. I'm Johnny Pickett, and this has been the R.L. Gage podcast. Thanks for listening.